Hey, we're going to be in the book of Luke, uh, chapter 1, this morning, and uh, we'll be starting in verse 5. And um, today, the story of Zechariah is about unbelief and yet God's ability and faithfulness to fulfill his word. It's about Zechariah's unbelief and about God's faithfulness to fulfill his word, even through our unbelief. And I got to thinking about Spencer this week and other kids that I've been talking to about salvation and just a whole lot of those kinds of situations and why, why someone believes. That's the question I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, all of you in here this morning, I can almost to a person say that you know the facts and the truth of the gospel, that we were sinners, that God is good, that we are sinners, that Jesus came to die for us, and he rose again, and if we put our faith in him, we will be saved and spend eternity with God. Like, I don't feel like I'm sharing something new with most of us in the room. And there's so many more we can count in our head, that in our families or friends that know that truth and yet do not believe. And I, and I got to thinking about the question, Why? And I don't have an answer. It is a mystery, right? We talked about it in our life group this morning that, that it really does take a work of God, right? It really does take a work of God because it's not just agreeing with some facts. It really takes God working in someone's heart for them to believe this and for it to change them. And we're going to see an example as Luke begins his gospel this morning of Zechariah not believing God's word. He had all the reasons. He had been around it his whole life. He had all sorts of reasons to believe, and yet he responds in unbelief. And so many times we can think of people in our own lives. We can think of friends, families, maybe spouses, maybe parents that have all the reason in the world to believe. They've heard the truth. They know the truth, and yet they don't believe. And I was talking to a, a pastor, a local pastor, uh, this last week, and he was telling me in his church, there's a, there's a lady uh, who, her husband uh, is not a believer, was not a believer. And for 25 years, she's been praying for him. She's been speaking to him, telling him the good news. And this last week, maybe two weeks ago now, uh, he came forward in the, at the end of a service and said, Pastor, I need to be saved. I need Jesus. Right? And I think about that, that wife who for 25 years poured her heart out, right? And it made no sense why he didn't believe, but that's what it takes. It takes exposure to the truth, and it takes us praying for the people in our lives that we know do not believe. So let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 5. We'll read all the way to, to 25. It says, in the, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, 
standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for Luke and his recording of these events, God. And we pray this morning that as we hear this example of unbelief, as we hear this example of God fulfilling his word, God, may it produce belief in our hearts in your word. May it produce a a trusting and a reliance on your word. God, and may it produce, um, just like it did in Elizabeth, God, a, a joy and a celebration because you have taken away our reproach. God, we are no longer those that are looked down upon, but because of your grace, God, we have been lifted up. And so I pray this morning that you would help me to speak clearly. Pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's start in verse 5. And we'll talk, we'll just read a little bit, talk about it, read a little bit, talk about it. Verse 5. In the days of King Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So Luke begins, and he gives us this political context. He tells us Herod is the ruler at this time, and this sets the stage for the Israelites as a whole, right? They, since, uh, I don't know, since the beginning of time, they have been dominated by other rulers. They have been ruled over. They have not walked in the favor and the the flourishing of the Lord, right? They have been, because of their sin, ruled 
by guys like Herod. Herod is this ruthless, cruel ruler over them. And he's not the kind of guy that's going to want to hear about some sons being born that are going to save the Israelites uh, at all. So it's in this context that Luke begins and he tells us about this humble priest, this humble couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now Zechariah tells us he's a priest. He would have been one of thousands of priests in Israel, spread out all over the country, but some say 8,000 at this time. And, and what would happen is some of them lived in Jerusalem and were always serving at the temple, but, but the rest of them, those of us out in the sticks, as we call it here, or whatever you call it, would get a chance once a year to go and serve in the temple. And so Zechariah is an old man. He had done this year after year after year. And in some ways, uh, this is very normal, right? This is a very normal yearly rhythm for him. It's very normal, nothing extraordinary. But in other ways, this year uh, is something very extraordinary, right? Because, yes, he had been 100 times, he had been 50 times, who knows how many times to the temple to serve, but this year, as God would have it, his name is drawn to go into the most holy place and offer incense, to burn a sacrifice to, that represented the prayers of the people. This would have been a, literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a priest. Some of them would have never been chosen to do it. So this normal experience turns into a paranormal or extraordinary experience for him, not something that would have been normal. Um, he's married to a lady named Elizabeth, and it says that Elizabeth was of the daughter of Aaron. So she had grown up in a priestly home too. She had seen this rhythm play out her whole life by her dad, and now she's seen it with her husband who's doing this year after year. And it tells us that Elizabeth and Zechariah, mine says that they were both righteous before God, and they walked blamelessly. Now, before we get this impression that they're perfect, because I think when we read that, that's kind of the impression we get. They're perfect. They had no mistakes. They had no anything. That's, that's not what Luke means. What does he mean? He means that the manner of the way they lived their life, like the pattern of their life, their reputation was one of righteousness or blamelessness. And, and what he means really, and what we can infer from this, is that they still believed in God. They still had hope in God's word. At this point in Israel's history, the last time God had spoken to them was the book of Malachi. And it had been 400 years since God had spoken to the people Israel. 400 years. And we can kind of gloss over that. That's almost twice as long as the United States has existed as a country, okay? 400 years of silence. God has not spoken there is no written word. There is no, uh, here's what, what I'm doing for you. They have these promises from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and some of them are hanging on to it, like Zechariah, like Elizabeth. That's why they're called righteous. But probably the growing majority of them are a little bit more skeptical. Uh, is God really going to do this? I know we do these sacrifices. I know that we do these cultural things, but... I'm not sure there's ever going to be a Messiah. But Luke tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth, he's pointing us to their examples of those who have not lost hope. Now, there's only one problem in their life that we know of. I'm sure there's many other problems in their life, but we know of one. And what was that? 
They are not able to have kids. They are not able to have kids. We can assume they've tried. We can assume they've been through it, the highs and the lows of that kind of grief. Now, in their day, what the people around them would have assumed about them is that they were not righteous. People would have assumed there must be some sin, there must be something you or your wife did against God and he has cursed you and you are not able to have kids. This is what those outside of them and near them would have thought. There's something in their life. And so they've got this, not just a social stigma because they don't have kids, but there's a religious stigma because eh, there's not something quite right with them. Now, if you're cluing into Luke's hints, Luke's not going to come out and quote the Old Testament and say, this happened to fulfill da-da-da-da. He will sometimes. But if you clue it into the language that he's using, he's using the lang- language of righteous. Uh, he, he uses that in the Old Testament to talk about people like Abraham and Job and people that God did something extraordinary through, people who were God-fears and God worked miraculously through. But he also uses this theme in their story of barrenness, right? Who, who does that remind us from the Old Testament? Abraham and Sarah, the father of the Jewish nation, who were barren and they were advanced in years. Isaac and Rebekah, who couldn't have kids or couldn't have the right kind of kids. Jacob and Rachel. Reminds us of Hannah. Luke is connecting us to the Old Testament story, right? Why is he doing that? Why does that matter? Well, one, he's given us a signal. Just like God worked in Abraham's life and Sarah's life and Hannah's life, he's about to do something like that here. He's pointing it back. But he's also connecting this good news of Jesus to the Old Testament. And so what he's saying is this is not something uh, that is just this brand new religion on the scene. No, what God did and promised in the Old Testament, here's how he is fulfilling it. And so he starts his gospel by pointing us back to the Old Testament, putting a stake in the ground and tying this to it to say this is the continuation of all that God had done. Look at verse 8 i got to pick up the pace. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. The whole multitude of people were praying outside at this hour of incense. We've talked about this, that this was both normal for Zechariah to go to Jerusalem for a week at a time, and it's totally abnormal for him to get chosen. This is an incredible experience that he would have been excited to come back and tell Elizabeth about. And what would happen when they go in to burn incense is a lot of times they would do it very quickly. This was not a long experience. They didn't linger because they were scared to death of being that close to the presence of of God in the Holy of Holies. And so uh, even at the Day of Atonement, the priests would wear bells and stuff on their their, uh, robes so that if they were to fall out and die, everyone would know, right? The bells stopped moving. They could hear their silence. Something's not right, right? So Luke uh, tells us uh, that this was the year that Zechariah finally got to go in. Now this is no small coincidence. Right? We shouldn't just go, well, that worked out for the story. No, we read this and we go, God had a plan. And God was working a plan. Look at verse 11. 
And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. It has been 400 years. Four, don't, don't skip over that. It's been 400 years since God has come and spoken to his people Israel. There's not been an angel. There's not been a prophet. There's not been anything. There's no letter from heaven. It's been 400 years of silence. And this day, as Zechariah enters the temple to do something very routine and mundane, an angel appears to him. I love the detail of the story. The angel appeared where? On the right side of the altar, right? I can hear some old men telling me stories about fishing right now. And they go, no, I was on the right side of the boat. And I, right, you can hear that, right? Luke had probably talked to somebody in Zechariah's family. And how does Zechariah respond? What does it say? The biggest understatement of all. Zechariah was troubled. And fear fell upon him. Right? It seems so eh, unfitting of what actually happens. Zechariah is scared to death. He is overcome with uh, fear. Because this is what happens when we as sinful humanity really see God. Every example we have in the Old Testament where someone sees an angel, sees God's presence like Moses, and he has to turn his back. Right? We, all these examples, what happens? What is the, the emotion? It is fear. There is no pride. There is no even rejoicing. There is great fear when we as humanity see God for who he really is and we realize who we really are. That, man, we cannot stand in your presence. There is, the light exposes our darkness, and this is what happens. Zechariah bows down. He is eyes to the ground. He thinks his life is over. He thinks it's done. This is a terrifying moment. And that's terrifying for us this morning. If you don't know Jesus, the thought of a God who knows everything about you, the thought of a God who no, no human action will ever stay hidden. The thought of a God who can see us for who we really are and he knows our heart. That is frightening if you do not have Christ. If you do not know forgiveness, if you do not know salvation, you would feel much like Zechariah in this moment. Look at verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, I don't know what the angel sounds like. Uh, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. It's always so ironic when something that you should be afraid of tells you not to be afraid. As if that helps, right? It doesn't, right? I'd probably do this to my kids when they're hurt, right? 
you're fine, right? Get over it. Does that help? No, it doesn't, but that's my instinct, right? And the angel says, do not be afraid. But what the angel is doing is signaling, I'm here to tell you something good. This is not bad. I'm bringing you good news. And what good news is he bringing? Well, first, he says that your wife will bear a son. This is good news to someone who has longed for the day that they can have a child. This is good news for someone who has experienced miscarriage and gone through the heartbreak of losing kids. This is good news. Man, the, our God has heard our prayers and we are going to have a son. Right? This is great news for Zachariah to hear. But wait, there's so much more. This is not just, you're going to have a son, just like most women this year in Israel. No. This is incredible news. He's not just going to be any other son. What does Zechariah hear about his future son? Here's some of the things the angel says. He says, he will be great before the Lord. He's not just an average Jewish boy that's going to be born this year. No, he's going to be great. He's signaling this is going to be somebody really important. It says, he must not drink wine or strong drink. This was said about Samson. This was said about others in the Old Testament that God had set apart for a specific purpose. He had set them apart to do something specific. And this is, he's saying this about his son that he never thought would exist. It says that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even in the womb. And this starts to get, whoo. Because what he's saying is the God of our forefathers who's been silent for 400 years is about to speak. The God who has, has not given us anything for 400 years is about to speak his word through the Spirit of God. That's why God gives the Spirit to give the word of God. And Zachariah's heart is going, whoa, this is crazy. It says he will turn the hearts of Israel to the Lord. So he, he means that, that this John who he's talking about is going to begin some spiritual renewal in the people. And it's going to begin to turn them back from their, their apostasy and their, their lack of belief and their lack of hope back to God. Right? He's going to have an immense impact. It says that he will go in the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn hearts of fathers to children. He will turn the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. He is quoting the very last words of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4. Here's what it says. Verse 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children in the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Zechariah is hearing this. He knows the Old Testament. He's a priest. And he's hearing that the one who was promised to us last, this one who would come, that's my son. He's saying that John is going to be the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. He says that he will make him make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is a quote of Malachi 3.1 that says, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. The angel is telling Zechariah, not just that you're going to have a son when you couldn't have a son, but God is on the move. 
God is going to speak again, and God is going to fulfill his word just like he promised. This is good news. And he tells him that his name is to be John. This comes out of left field, right? Because he probably should have been Zeke or Zach or Zecharias or something similar to his father. But he tells him that his name would be John. Why does this matter? Because John means God is gracious. God is gracious. Think about it. There's been silence from God for 400 years. And now God, in his grace, is giving them a Messiah. This is grace. They do not deserve it. But John, the one who is coming to prepare the way of the Messiah, he's going to be called God is gracious. Grace is the road to the Messiah. Grace is the road to salvation. Look at verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah, though he had many reasons to believe that this angel was speaking the truth, right? He saw it, he experienced it, he sees the reasons from the Old Testament, right? Even though he's got good reason to believe, he's got a lot of reasons not to believe. He's got, he's got 70, 80 years of his wife not being able to have a kid. He's got a lot of pent-up anger towards the Lord, right? He's got a lot of reasons to not believe, and he responds in unbelief. And to be honest, as I read this verse, I, I, I kind of sympathize with Zachariah. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. That you would go, how can this be? Lord, we have tried. We have done this, right? We don't have the ability, and now we're old. Right? I get it. But in the face of what he just witnessed, hearing the word of the Lord... There is no reason for his circumstance to overrule that. And so, in essence, Zechariah is asking for a sign. He's asking, God, God, give me some sort of sign to confirm that what you just said is true. I love how Gabriel responds. He basically says, do you know who I am? Do you know where I come from? Do you get what's happening right now? Like, Earth to Zechariah, I'm an angel. I stand in the presence of the Lord. And here I am telling you this good news. What other sign do you need, brother? Right? I don't know that Zechariah was sarcastic like me. (laughs) And Gabriel answers, and he gives him a sign. It's not the sign Zechariah wanted. It's going to be a bad sign. He says, you're going to be mute until the day that God fulfills this. You want to know that this is true? Just wait. You're not going to be able to speak or communicate this good news at all until I prove to you that this word is true. Now think about this in light of Israel's story. Zechariah has this good news, but he can't share it. He's silent. Israel has this good news that a Messiah is coming, but there has been silence. 
And now God is about to break the silence. Look at verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. They were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his own. (laughs) They knew how long it took. And they knew Zechariah was taking way too long to burn a few little things, right? They're worried about him. And I think they're probably thinking, maybe whatever they did to be barren, God's finally got him. Maybe he's finally, uh, like sin is finally caught up to him. Shouldn't have gone that close. Shouldn't have done whatever he did. Right? I don't, I don't know. But they're, they're wondering, where is he? He comes out. And to their surprise, he is not able to communicate. They, they can tell something's gone on in here. They were able to piece together the pieces and go... I think something just happened. I'm not sure what, but I think something just happened in there because he can't even say anything. Look at verse 24. After these days, I think I skipped one. No, 23. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his own. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. I can't imagine the scene as Zechariah makes his way back to Bethany from Jerusalem and he shows up. And husbands, we get this. Wives, you're going to get this. And your husband is mute. Zach, what happened? What? What? And he can't even tell her. He can't even express the joy that's in his heart because I think he probably believes at this point. Right? He probably knows this such good news that the son is coming. We're going to have a son and he's going to usher the, the Messiah into Israel. And he's mute. And at some point, I'm sure he was able to write or scribble it down and explain it to his wife. But that paled in comparison to getting to to teach her and to tell her and to explain it with his own words. And I love how simple the fulfillment is. Verse 24, and it came to pass after these days, Elizabeth conceived. God's word is being fulfilled right in front of his eyes. And he's got to sit there and take it. Can't say anything about it. I love Elizabeth's response. She says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. There's, there's two aspects to it, right? Because she's feeling the, the, the angst of, of a mother who has longed for a son, and she's finally going to get to rejoice because she's going to have a son, but she also knows who this son's going to be. And so her word is like, it, it's speaking to her situation, but also to Israel's situation. The Lord has taken away the reproach. He's taken away the bad, and he's given us grace. He's given us John. God is gracious, Right? Like, even though Zechariah did not believe, God's word is proving to be true, right? As I thought about this story, and we're wrapping up, Zechariah had all kinds of reasons to believe. He'd been a priest his whole life. 
He had read the Old Testament scriptures. And now he gets an angel that comes and tells him, the Messiah is coming and your son's going to usher him in. And he responds in disbelief. Why? We feel this about our family and our friends that don't believe. How could you not see it that Jesus died and he rose again to save us from our sins? How do you not get it? How can you not believe, right? And we we, we see this around us, unbelief in the face of good reason to believe. But we also see people like Elizabeth who hears the good news and believes and she praises God that he has taken away his, our reproach by his grace. And that's true for every one of us this morning. If you're in Christ, if you believe in Jesus, he's taken away your reproach. All the shame, all the sin, all the past that you've experienced, God offers to wipe it clean in Jesus. He offers forgiveness, and he sent his only son to die and pay the price for that. We all have access to that. And the only biblical response is to believe. To believe fully in Jesus. Church, let's pray that God would produce belief in our hearts and in our family's hearts and in our friends' hearts. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this story. We thank you for your word and we thank you that you are not silent any longer, God, but you have come and you have spoken the good news to us that God is gracious and there is a way for us to be saved from our sin. God, we thank you that we are not blind or in the dark, God, but we have access to that truth. God, I pray that as we hear that this morning, we would believe fully, God, help our unbelief, God, but I pray that we would believe fully in your son, we'd believe fully in your word, that you can do anything you say you can, that no circumstance of ours is too great to overcome your word. God, your word will be fulfilled. God, may we respond like Elizabeth and not like Zechariah. May we believe. And may you change us. And may we praise you because of it, God. God, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.